Welcome to One Stop Shop, a weekly podcast that helps ambitious e-commerce entrepreneurs learn from the best. Brought to you by Conversio. To learn more about managing all your tools, channels, and strategies from one dashboard, visit Conversio.com. On this episode, you will learn how to use word of mouth to engage existing customers and to gain new ones from our interview with Nick DeSabato. Nick DeSabato runs the design agency Draft.nu, where he helps fix leaky revenue with conversion-focused design. But that's not the topic we are discussing today. Nick is really good at getting word of mouth, an ideal way of getting new customers, which is also difficult to leverage and scale. In this episode, Nick shares his tips on getting customers to talk about your business. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hey, doing great. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. All right. Tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background. Sure. So my name is Nick DeSabato. I run a design consultancy called Draft. I work predominantly with e-commerce business owners to help increase their revenue by improving their conversion rate and their average order value and their customer lifetime value. So the focus for this episode is actually an interesting one um, in the world of lead generation. It's word of mouth. It's sort of this ideal way of getting targeted traffic and new customers. How would you describe word of mouth as a viable marketing method for businesses? Um, I think it's a very good marketing method. I don't think it should be the only marketing method, right? It's something that you should be trying to do just because you're trying to get good, happy customers. A large part of it is taken care of by having good, happy customers. <laughs> but it's also something that I, I recommend in addition to advertising or outreach or discounts, whatever have you, other ways of building traffic and, and getting wallet out customers. We're going to focus on the word of mouth side of things today. I think that it's always a very valuable component of any business. Okay. So just kind of out of the gate, the, f- the first hesitation even I have is that generally word of mouth seems like it's a difficult thing to leverage. How much mm-hmm. word of mouth can you or can you not um, control as the business or business owner? Yeah, so I'm, I'm like a data and a numbers guy. I do a lot of like A-B testing and a lot of analytics for my clients and stuff like that. And so uh, when I think about word of mouth, a lot of it is out of my control, right? It's I try and encourage somebody to do a thing like, tell a bunch of friends or share a review or something like that. But ultimately, it's on them to do it. And so a lot of it is a matter of like breaking down those barriers, making it easy for people to do it and also incentivize people to do it. Beyond that, it's difficult to say, okay, well, I came in and I was referred in by a friend. Well, sometimes you can do that with post-purchase surveys, but they're not entirely accurate and they're also optional to fill out, right? Like the goal is to close the order and not to fill out a post-purchase survey. So a lot of people don't end up doing it in practice. So you have to be comfortable with the idea that you're going to be getting kind of fuzzy data back and fuzzy analytics on the ROI of it. But it's also something that is relatively easy to do. There are a lot of quick wins within it, and it's something that can potentially pay dividends for the business. All right, so it sounds like it's not 100% under control, which definitely it isn't. But if we were to try to control it, and you said there were some easy ways or easy wins, what are some of your like favorite methods, if you will, of controlling word of mouth? So one of my favorite methods is a post-purchase survey. 
and also giving post-purchase discounts. So one of the things that I do to measure people, how did you find out about us? Well, was it from a friend? If more and more people are coming in saying that a friend told them, then that's pretty promising as far as the success of the word of mouth campaign. But then trying to encourage the word of mouth, you may be giving people a discount code after they sign up or uh, they, they place a purchase. So two or three days after, if they were happy with their product, they can go and tell somebody. When you are shipping physical products, include a little note that says, hey, you can review us on our site. Do this. We'll give you a little discount. You can send like a 5 or 10% discount code to somebody, something like that. If you like what we have, appreciate if you could tell your friends, that sort of thing. So it's kind of two things. There's lifecycle emails that happen afterward that come into your inbox. And then there's like actually a physical note that is printed out that goes into the box that tries to encourage people. Sending them an Instagram hashtag, sending them your Twitter and Instagram handles and encouraging you to follow them. And then you can continue to market to them and educate them and show them cool pics and do whatever you need. Is it worthwhile for a business owner to try and scale word of mouth? Because it's to me, it personally, it seems like it's such a difficult thing to scale up, but I'm not sure maybe I'm wrong. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, the scaling usually comes in providing more and more techniques, right? And so if you're constantly telling a new customer, hey, share us, hey, share us, hey, share us, they're going to get fatigued about it. So you're going to kind of run into a certain amount of things that you can do that you don't want to give them any discomfort or make them feel imposed upon or anything like that. So in terms of that, that can be difficult. But as your customer base grows, you have a lot of opportunity to scale word of mouth because you can follow up maybe six months later with older customers and ask, how are you feeling about this product? Are you still using this product? If you have any problems with it, please contact our support. If not, great, here's our hashtag again, something like that. So you're kind of reminding them of it and they can unsubscribe from that sort of stuff they need, but it's you're giving them the option and doing it in a way that's not heinously intrusive. So I think that as you have more and more people, you have more and more touch points, right? And so it's easy to scale on that front. And you're thinking about once you have the things that happen three days out set up, you think about the things that you want to promote to people three months out or six months out or a year out or something like that. Kind of reminds me of King's Row Coffee episode where we were talking about receiving feedback and sending emails out and newsletters and whatnot in their marketing and sales efforts. And and he said something very interesting. He said, our strategy is to be, quote unquote, politely persistent, yeah. where we're not, we're not giving up just because somebody is not opening or replying to our emails consistently or buying from us. We'll keep sending them until they have unsubscribed. But he said, just polite about it, because if you are polite about it, it's very unlikely that someone will be offended just because you're sending them emails. I mean, it's very hard to be mean to someone who is nice and friendly to you and respectful towards you. So if you respect the customer, but you're persistent, then you're increasing the chances of having a sale. There's no place for, you know, it's not like a real personal relationship where like somebody's not replying and you're like your ego gets in the way and stuff you know it doesn't that's not how it works it sounds like and yeah yeah tone matters tremendously with this you know you're imposing on the person's time in some capacity after they've actually made this purchase so you have to imagine i actually go one step further and think about if i was running a physical store and somebody came back in the door as a repeat customer what would i say to them right this is an actual human in front of you and you have to treat them with as much dignity and respect as possible and not waste their time. And that 
I know that sounds very like high level and like very squishy, but you, if you think about it from that perspective, it helps inform a lot of the stuff that you're going to be writing for them because you make sure that you're getting to the point, you're recognizing that it's an imposition on their time. So you're approaching it with a degree of humility and, and almost vulnerability a little bit. And that can be really valuable for ensuring that people kind of understand that you're a human and that you're coming from it from a humane place. I love that. You alluded to it a little bit earlier, um, but what are some of the don'ts in terms of getting word of mouth? Don't be insanely persistent about it. Don't try and turn your store into a pyramid scheme where it's like a tell five friends, they tell five friends type thing. I mean, a lot of it is like, don't give incentives that you can't actually support in a business. Like don't give like a 90% discount to somebody if you can, <laughs> if you can't <laughs> afford it. Give small incentives that are actually solvent for you, right? Don't give evergreen discount codes because they will end up on coupon sites. You have to give unique discount codes to people. <laughs> and that's probably something you can tackle with like a Shopify plugin or something like that or whatever your store is. And those are, those are some of the most basic things that I see people messing up, right? Don't send emails asking for reviews before the product has been delivered. If you can hook into USPS's API or Canada Post's API, wherever you're, whatever country that you're based in, you can track in scale on a daily basis what outstanding orders you have. And so I generally don't send an email until I know that it got delivered. And if it, you can tell that it got delivered, then, okay, great. A day later, be like, we hope you've been enjoying our product. If you have any questions, please email us. And so it looks like a support email. And then you hit them with the request to actually share it with their friends. So they get kind of a, a repeat, like, oh, yeah, I should do that, right? And so you're incentivizing them on that while still trying to provide them with value. So just like the coupons, you just said now that they, you've got to make sure that they're evergreen and not evergreen rather, because you don't want them to end up on coupon sites. What about content? I mean, content should be evergreen. Oh yeah, content. If you're going to to be investing time and energy into writing it. So, so what are like some of your tips, if you will, or strategies to create content that's evergreen and also worth sharing so that you don't have to push the customer to share with their friends that you want them to willingly do that for you. Yeah. So evergreen content strategies with my clients are so bespoke because it's like exactly what the thing is going to be selling. But I can talk about some kind of broad precepts to it. One of them is if it's evergreen, probably don't have a timestamp on it because otherwise somebody's going to notice it's five years old, have a URL slug that actually has words in it and is not like 12 slash 22 slash 2016 slash, you know, whatever. Don't have the date in the URL slug either. Another thing is good evergreen content is usually educational and actionable. And so you may be thinking, um, so I'll talk about a client that I had once. It's called KeySmart. They were everyday carry site. And I was like, just talk about other things that aren't necessarily minimalist keys, right? It's not just about the keys. It's about if somebody cares enough to get what's basically a Swiss Army knife for their keychain, they probably care a lot about having, e.g., a minimalist wallet or a minimalist pen, or they care a lot about what's in their bag. And so you can just share these sorts of things that are relatively evergreen about how to choose the right pen. And so it helps people become better, more intentional consumers of maybe not necessarily your stuff, but you're helping them, right? 
And then any good evergreen content, obviously, at the bottom should have a call to sign up for the mailing list, view the store, that sort of stuff. I love getting people onto a mailing list before I even close with a sale, which is, as an A-B tester and an optimizer, a little bit harder to measure. But it also grows the audience, and it allows people to refer out in a different vector, right? So you have somebody on a mailing list. Even if they haven't made a purchase, you can be like, share this out, and you're continuing to share that content. So the benefit of evergreen content and having a strategy around it is, too, really, that it promotes that you're credible in what you're doing. So that increases your your ranking and SEO, and it increases the traffic that you're getting coming in from direct sources. But it also gives you more shareable content that is more likely to expand your audience, right? If you put up a post that is educational and actionable and somebody shares it on Facebook, then your word of mouth campaign just succeeded, right? That's a form of it. So to maybe round back a little bit in terms of getting your readers, getting your audience to share the different pieces of content. I think maybe it would be more beneficial if we kind of hit them one at a time. What are some of those specific methods? So let's say, for example, you want the person that recently purchased whatever it is that you have, or maybe a a new prospect audience member, depending on what you're selling, that type of thing. Um, When you're reaching them via email, what are some more of the drilled down specific examples you can give us to make that content um, shareable, whether it's just them talking about your brand or them sharing actually something that you shared with them? Um, So this is, there's kind of a few techniques most of which are intuitive and some are counterintuitive. If you're sharing it on social media, this is an easy one, post it multiple times. Post that it's an oldie bit of goodie or something like that, especially if you're on a site like Instagram or Twitter and you're in more of a timeline format. You risk getting stuff buried if you post at just one time of day or something like that. So that's kind of a basic thing. On the mailing list, I usually create a little like educational digest bit in the mailing list where I have... Maybe I lead with a sale or a new product, something like that. And then after that, I give like three links to really awesome pieces of content that I found. And one of them just so happens to be on our website. So you can go there. Once you get there, I try not to be insanely heavy handed about social share buttons from there. There are a ton of studies, actually Conversion Excel and Wider Funnel have both put out studies relatively recently that say the only way that social share buttons actually work is if people came in from the same referring agent as the as the social network that you're promoting. So if somebody comes in from Facebook, they're likely to hit the Facebook like button. If somebody comes in from Pinterest, they're likely to hit the pin button. Otherwise, it's possibly even harmful to have those at all. And I know that sounds totally crazy that I'm telling people to turn off their social share bars in a answer about sharing stuff far and wide, but people can copy and paste the URL pretty easily. And if they're coming in through mobile, they can hit the share button in their menu bar, the browser pretty easily. So one of those things is, you know, just put a call at the bottom of the post that said, if you got value out of this, or if you really enjoyed this, we'd appreciate it if you could share it. And that's it. You don't have to go and say, click here to do it on Facebook, click here to do it on Twitter, unless that came in through the referring agent. That's a more like level up technique if you want to be putting that together. But people will share your content if it is good and valuable. The goal is to, I mean, the fundamental thing is make valuable, interesting, evergreen content. And a lot of it takes care of itself. I found, at least with my clients, that's the case. Yeah. What about even rounding back to, like, say, the the note in the box? So if I'm selling a physical product, what kind of things are you mentioning on the note? 
So in the case of Keysmart, we had assembly instructions. And then at the bottom, we had a hashtag. Sometimes it's where to go for support. Here's the email address for support. If you look at, there's a iPhone and Android accessories and components company called Anker, A-N-K-E-R. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. They have a little note that basically just has two little cards and one of them has a thumbs up and one of them has a thumbs down. And if it's thumbs up, you unfold it and it tells you to share it with friends. And the thumbs down is a link to, I believe, a phone number for their supports. They can, they can tackle it really easily. Anker also are interesting because they're focused very heavily on getting good reviews and getting good word of mouth via reviews. They provide a lot of steps for like posting a review on Amazon or Yotpo or whatever it is they have there. So that's one thing that, I mean, I've gotten inspired by that, seeing the way that they do that. But those are some of the things that I've put on with my clients. And it's, you know, again, something you just print out on a laser printer and cut into bits and you're done. What about, um, what's a different, maybe one of your own clients or a different company you admire? An e-commerce company that you feel like is just doing this excellently? Well, Anker is doing it excellently, I mentioned. Ladies wear company Black Milk. They're based out of Brisbane, I believe, in Australia somewhere. And my partner... Right. My partner wears their stuff. So I've gotten them sometimes. And one time I bought one as a gift for her. And, uh, and then I got in their email funnel and I just couldn't look away. They like, <laughs> they like believed I was on their street team and like showed me cool pics and all this stuff. And I was just like, okay, cool. Um, now I know why you have really rabid fans that are not in Brisbane, Australia. Like we live a 26 hour flight from there. <laughs> um, so uh, they're they're doing a really good job. And then when you get the insert in there, it gives you not only the like overall like social media options for them, but it also gives them the specific pieces hashtag that you bought. And so you can go and like drill down on your search on Instagram and actually get access to that. And I think that's a it's a good idea for a company like theirs where they're releasing, you know, like 20 new things a month. And they and they have a lot of people that are extremely heavily engaged on social media. And how about the the last one, sort of in this vein? Still, are there incentives that you feel like do work? Like you've you've led, you've already kind of mentioned a few things, like don't try to go for the pyramid scheme and don't be too persistent. But are there incentives that you feel like are working well? I mean, I think the best incentive is probably either either an upsell. So you bought the thing. Here are accessories to the thing. Um, Keysmart does this really well where you can get all sorts of little tools that has worked very well for them. And I can, I have the numbers. (laughs) I know that it works well for them. But then the other thing that you do is just give this to a friend. They get 10% off. It's not even a big discount in the case of Keysmart. It's literally like two or $3. It's not a significant amount of money, but that has worked for them. And it's just something that's like, okay, well now I have this discount code and it's key to my name. And I've seen other incentives and, and referral programs work better for like like SaaS businesses and onboarding and stuff like that. We could go way deep on that. But I think for stores in particular, that's probably the best place to kind of stop there. All right. Good stuff. Okay. Besides creating content, how else do you generate word of mouth? So I mentioned a couple other uh, tactics earlier about encouraging word of mouth in the physical product, maybe on the receipt, maybe as a post-purchase survey, maybe in a lifecycle email. All of those are pretty valuable ways to get word of mouth and do what you can to try and measure it after people come back in. What about in person? Like, Do you do things like attending maybe events or networking or public speaking? Yeah. So a couple of 
for are you talking for me for draft or for other stores? I mean, even for other stores, they might actually benefit from this. There are yes. you know, different different events that a business owner can potentially attend to either network with potential customers or to at least get their name out there and maybe get some publicity, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think like I see a lot of like conference sponsorships and trade shows. Those are big ways of getting interest in and they involve travel. So they're a little bit more like high risk, high reward because you also take it away from your business for a few days. But I've seen those work, especially in the case of trade shows. If you're doing well enough and you're operating at a sufficient scale, I see a lot of partnerships happening with other companies where you'll they'll come out with a new version of the product that's maybe co-branded, that sort of thing. So networking can definitely have like outsized effects for the business. But it's also one of those things like all you need are one of two of those partnerships in order for it to to provide outsized returns for you. So that's a matter of kind of relationships building in the business. And you're usually interacting in those situations with like other business owners. If you're going to a conference, you may sponsor a conference and include one of your one of your widgets in the swag bag or something like that. I've seen those work pretty well. I think that all of those are really good options. Sponsorship of podcasts or blog posts, I've seen those work pretty well, or mailing lists. Doing outreach and interviewing on other people's podcasts or guesting on blogs and stuff like that, I think that can be a very good strategy for expanding your network and bringing a lot of inbound traffic as well. And I know it wasn't directly answering the question, but it's sort of germane to it. And yeah. no, it, it helps. So actually, speaking of that, you know, trying to get on maybe other podcasts or being a, a guest a guest speaker or a guest writer or writing a post um, and getting a spot as you know as a speaker anywhere I think it might be different like difficult for a beginner a complete beginner to do that so do you have any tips on like getting started first of all even finding the right events for one's industry like it just seems like such a big wide project to tackle and yeah. overwhelming. Yeah you know, for, for a complete beginner. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's also a project that's kind of difficult to know where to start because you could go for the most appropriate conference. You could go for like the nearest conference, right? Like I live in Chicago. If I want to get only Chicago conferences or only like Milwaukee and Indianapolis, if I'm being particularly (laughs) generous with it, like they, they might not have the best thing for me. I spend a lot of time either sitting in like what I call watering holes, usually like forums or mailing lists or even so far as Slack rooms and just kind of lurking and seeing what's good and what people are interested in. I also spend some time just relentlessly Googling various conferences and I start small. Like if you want to test the waters, like start with a meetup and then go up to like a maybe a hundred person conference and then go up to like a 300 person conference. Cause if you start with like the biggest conference or trade show that your Metro area has, nobody's going to give you the time of day unless you're a huge, huge deal. So I tend to start with something small and also that makes it easier for you to fulfill because it's not giant and insane and a whole lot of pressure on you. So I usually go for like maybe some tiny meetups that I can sponsor and I might provide like a venue or I might just even some something small like buying beer or pizza for the thing and just saying, hey, the food and drinks were provided by Badonkadonk Corporation. And you can get word of mouth that way pretty easily. Get your name um, out easily, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a matter of sending an email, introducing yourself, your business, and wanting to help, and just saying, you know, they're, we're trying out a word-of-mouth marketing. Thing. Well, you don't have to say that. You, we're, trying out, we're trying to do more outreach to the community, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a friendly thing that you can do without saying, hey, I'm doing a word-of-mouth marketing strategy and trying to get an ROI out of this. Like, I think that's a good place to start with it. Does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what about networking in those events? Um, Not just speaking, but if let's say someone wants to go there to uh, make connections and and you insinuated to it, you just said building relationships, which we think is very important. And actually, we're even going to have an episode um, about PR. Um, So building relationships and networking. But a lot of times people go to events or even like spend time on places like LinkedIn, for example, and you'll have like a ton of people that you connect with and you talk to. Mm-hmm. but it may not necessarily put you in the right direction or help your business directly. So do you have any tips or strategies to make networking worth their time so they're not just like aimlessly sharing their contact with the wrong people? Yeah, so one thing that if you're doing like a smaller conference, you can probably negotiate like a two-minute introduction to a speaker or something like that where you get on stage and say, hey there, I'm from Badonkadonk, we make this. We'll be around if you want to chat, if you have any other questions for us. And do this in the most like human and non-wooden and non-businessy way possible. You have to be somebody that people actually want to have a drink with, right? Because you're going to be at the cocktail reception afterward. And you're going to be talking to people. If You know you will have done this well when people approach you. <laughs> and once that happens, then, I mean, networking is just a matter of having a good conversation. Bring a bunch of business cards. Bring a bunch of freebies if you can. Or informational cards if you can't. Something like that. And, you know, maybe secure a table in the corner or something like that. You don't have to man that table 24-7. Just wander around and stand around other people having a conversation and, and act like a human. Because people know that you belong to this company if you got on stage beforehand. So they don't need somebody aggressively selling you, right? But if you go there and you can actually identify with the audience and they're part of your target market, another plus side is you could just stand there and shut up and listen and understand a lot of customer needs, which is really great for feeding back into your product and your marketing message. Good stuff. All right, finally, after we talk about all these potential methods and systems and this type of thing, how do you recommend measuring if your word of mouth is effective? It depends on a few different places that you're putting this, right? So if it's a podcast sponsorship, you provide them with a custom link that takes you to a special landing page, and so you can measure it that way and track it through analytics. UTM sources are really good for this. Google has a thing called Universal Tag Manager where you can determine a given source in a given campaign, that sort of thing. Again, post-purchase surveys to say, I bought this through a friend versus I found this through a search engine, that sort of thing. Make sure you're providing like genuine answers for this and ask as few questions as humanly possible. So if you could just be like, hey, Doug, you heard this, hear this through word of mouth, yes, no. That can also be really, really valuable. So that's the number one thing you want to be measuring. So you're measuring intake as far as traffic sources. So you can give people a custom link when you're going to a conference or when you're going to a trade show or when you're speaking on a podcast or, or whatever have you. But also you want to measure actual transactions and say, okay, well, I got this through a friend. The latter has, I think, kind of a pretty consistent sampling error from, from store to store. It's one of those things that... I think the discrepancy is pretty consistent. I think it's like a like a third of people definitely don't respond, and then a third of people respond, and it may or may not be accurate, something like that. And a third of people respond, and you know. 
So you're not going to be getting a like bomb-proof metric. What you're going to be looking for to determine success for this is a long-term ROI, right? Because word of mouth, the challenge with it is that somebody can talk about you in June and somebody can think about you in September and then somebody can actually take action in November, right? I have stores sitting on like a two buy list for my own self that I probably won't take action on for a really long period of time. So you have to be comfortable with the idea of kind of measuring the trajectory, right? Are sales increasing? Are traffic sources diversifying? Are we getting more wallet out people? Is our conversion rate increasing? Is average order value increasing from like post-purchase stuff? Are people using these coupon codes that we're sending out? Those questions, the detail of them vary from store to store, but they're a good starting point for anybody to be thinking about here. Appreciate you going into some of the the nerdy details and the evidence that you have from stuff that you've tried and it's worked and not worked. People want to learn more about you, this type of information and, and that type of thing. Where can they go? They can go to draft.nu is my business's site. And if you want to get a weekly letter from me about marketing, about A-B testing, about conversion rate optimization, anything that's on my mind, I promise to make them valuable and ensure that they don't waste your time. You can go to draft.nu slash letters. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that does it for season four. Now, Ileana and I have done our research and we're putting together an excellent season five. Look forward to that dropping soon. As a reminder, Convergio is giving you access to an excellent tool called StoreGrader. It's a free tool that grades your site against key metrics like revenue stats, product details, and other customer data. You can find out where your e-commerce store stands by signing up for free at Convergio.com. And finally, this podcast was made in production with my agency, Come Alive Creative. We help bring purpose and strategy to your podcast, and you can learn more about us at Come Alive Creative. Convergio, sell more, do less.